Real Life Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Tomplay. nature it should be for people that are 18 years or older heed my warning people i do not get the facts of these cases off the internet or from some television show the facts we're retelling you were presented to us by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims my description of the crime scenes are what i saw with my own two eyes if you're gonna get offended Please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. Y'all, I'm going to talk about a couple things real quick before we get started and explain. First of all, I want to explain why we're not doing the conclusion of Rapid's Burning uh, for those of you outside of Louisiana, you know, we, we had Hurricane Laura hit, uh, what, over two weeks now? Almost two weeks. What, anyway, it's total devastation in southwest Louisiana. There's still 100, almost 170,000 people without power, but it actually went through Rapids also, Rapids Parish, and I know their courthouse was closed all week last week. Um, people were without electricity for you know seven or eight days in Rapids, and I the I'm doing the interview and it, it'll be released next week that I told y'all I was going to do with some more damning information, and we're going to conclude that series. But it's stuff that y'all need to hear. But that's why I'm today. I'm just going to do a regular episode. But uh, our prayers go out to all the people affected by Hurricane Laura. And look, I know we lost everything in 2016. I know what it's like to lose your home and have to start over from scratch. And I know what it's like from working all the named storms and for 20 years in the state of Louisiana. I know what it's like to be without power. I can remember, I don't remember the name of the storm, but I was with state police and I can remember going to my office. I was single at the time, going to my office and sleeping on the floor just so I could have some air conditioner after eight or nine days without power. So I get it. Y'all hang in there and you'll get through it. Louisiana strong. 
And in California, y'all, all you lifers out there, we're praying for you. California and the western states that are burning, we're praying for you. And, and I mean, people are losing everything. So it's going to take, I think, rapids burning. The conclusion is, is more important. I just don't want to do it in the middle of the weeks where all this is going on. We'll, we'll wrap it up next week. Plus, I couldn't get up there to do it. So that being said, I'm going to tell you an original today from 2005. Let me think of a name real quick. Street Justice. We'll call this episode Street Justice. And listen, I got to say this, okay? This episode is going to have some stuff that's hard to hear. It is not for everybody. Heed my warning, people. Don't be that asshole that goes to iTunes and leaves a one-star review that starts with, well, Woody gives a warning before every show, but, and then goes into, you know, leave me a one-star saying I'm about cursing and and the, my descriptions of the crime scenes and all that shit. Hey, if you don't like it, don't listen. And I'm sure that person is still tuning in, listening to this one. I guess it's like driving by a car wreck that they have to tune in to see what it's going to be. I don't want to ruin your day. I'm telling you right now, this is a hard story to hear. Turn it off if you don't like it. Street Justice. In, in 2005, all right, y'all. I doubt this person is still even alive, the victim, but I'm not going to say the victim's name. I will say uh, the last name of the of suspects involved. I'm not going to say what city it happened in um, or anything like that. So I'm going to leave that stuff out. If you feel so inclined to go look it up by these last names, and then good luck to you because, uh, well, I mean, there's stuff on there, but there's no news articles. There's only the appeals process, et cetera. But Street Justice, in 2005, in the month of April, there was a 76-year-old lady who lived in a small town in a neighboring parish to Livingston Parish. At the same time, in 2005, I was a detective with Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office, and Brian Paul Smith was my partner. But this story starts in a small town in the neighboring parish to Livingston, and y'all the people who are listening for the first time and don't know, Louisiana has parishes, not counties, okay? So when I say parish, it really means a county. Now, this lady was 76 years old. Um, her husband had, had had passed maybe two years before, two I think two, two years before, and I believe he was a preacher his entire life, and they always helped people, and she lived alone. And she helped people whenever she could. You know, if you showed up and, and, and asked for some food because you were hungry, she was going to feed you. And if you showed up and you're trying to make some some gas money or whatever, she would let you cut her grass, et cetera. And so on this particular day, two guys go to her house, two black males go to her house. One, the last name... Belazar, he had been there before and and through over a period of time, this lady knew him. She would always help him out. She would let him cut her grass or do whatever and, and give him a few dollars change. And he knew 
uh, he knew her in, in, in earlier in the day, Belazar and McGee, his partner, were smoking crack, and evidently Belazar owed McGee some money. Belazar said, McGee pulled a pistol on him and said, bitch, I want my money, and you're going to get it for me today. So Belazar says, well, I know where we can go hit a lick at. And hitting the lick, y'all, if you listen to the past episodes, you know that street turns for a robbery. So McGee says, well, let's ride, bitch. And, and they ride over to this little old lady's house during the daytime. And Belazar goes to the door, and he knocks on the door, and he calls her name. She comes to the door in her house gown, nightgown, well, not nightgown, but, you know, like a house, not a row, but I guess nightgown, whatever you call it. Just She comes to the door, she looks at the keyhole, and she sees Belazar, who she's known like for a long time, right? And he's like, hey, can can you open up? I want to talk to you. And she opens the door, and as soon as she opens the door, bam, McGee rushes in and punches her in the face, knocks her to the ground, and it was said later on that he had a gun, but um, but she was just knocked down, and he starts wailing on her, beating on her on the ground, saying, bitch, where's the money at, bitch? Where's your guns at, bitch? And, and she was like, stop, stop. She said, I don't, I don't have any guns. My money's in the bedroom. And he picks her up by the back of the head and drags her down the hall to the bedroom. And once in the bedroom, he slams her head into the wall and he spins her around and pins her down on the bed and face down on the bed. And this is going to be here, hard to hear, y'all. But he hiked up her nightgown and took his penis out and raped her or tried to rape her. He actively tried, okay? Now, this is a 76-year-old lady that he's raping, and that shows you what kind of piece of shit that you're dealing with right here. Now, both McGee and Belazar are long-time frequent flyers in their, in their small town. They've got numerous, numerous criminal convictions. They, the cop, the local cops all know them, et cetera. But anyway, so he pins her down, and he's, he's I mean, what is the mindset? You get, you're there for, for money and, and stuff that you can take to sell. Why would you try to rape a 76-year-old lady? So he's behind her. He's shoving his penis in a, on on and about the area of her naked vagina and saying all kinds of nasty shit to her. And Belazar, she was she's begging and, and saying, just take the money, just take the money. And um they they did. They took her deceased husband's jewelry, her jewelry, uh what what little money she had, et cetera. And he beat on her some more, physically beat beat on her, and then they stuffed her in a closet. And I can't—I don't think he necessarily left her for dead because they they barricaded the closet door with some with some chairs, so they locked her in the closet. I don't think you lock her in the closet; you think she's dead, but she was severely beaten, uh, and 
the rape part, right? And so they leave. Before they left, they ripped the phones out of the walls in the house. And at some point, she is able to get out of the closet and she sees the phones ripped out and she has to go out and seek assistance, right? So the cops get called and they come out and they work the scene. She told him what happened. Now, look, you got to give props to this to this lady, right? She's a strong, strong individual, and it'll come into play later on when I tell you about the rest of it. But to go through that, to be savagely beaten and raped or, or attempted rape in your own home, and then to stand up and to be robbed. And I mean, if you've ever been robbed, shit, being robbed when somebody steals from you, you that's bad enough, but to be violated in your own home in every way possible and then have the cops come out and have the guts, you go to the hospital and all that, but to have the guts to stand up and say, yeah, I know who it was. She said, I know the one uh, guy's Belazar. He's been to my house before. I've helped him before. Husband, I helped him. I've known him. I guarantee you it was him. She said, I don't have any idea who the other guy was. So the cops get a warrant for Belazar, and they go and, and they arrest him. He he flips like a little pancake bitch on McGee and, and tells what happened. Um, he said that McGee had a pistol uh, when he, uh, he, he admitted they were smoking crack. He said that uh, he, he owed McGee money. McGee pulled a pistol on him, and you know, of course, he tried to minimize his involvement. But he said that they went over there. He said McGee raped her and uh, beat her, and they took the the money and left. Now, what he didn't say? Well, he did actually. He told him when they left, they they smoked uh, more crack. And then he went to, I think, his, his father's house, and he told his father and his uncle that McGee had just raped and beat an old lady. Well, the motherfucker didn't call the police, and he didn't call an ambulance, and he knows they left her stuffed in a closet. And chances are, there was a very real chance that she could have died from that, which would have been a death penalty case. But in the state of Louisiana... If you're at AmeriHealthCaritas, Louisiana, we help people get care, stay well, and build healthy communities. Care is the heart of our work at AmeriHealthCaritas, Louisiana. 13 or under, or I think, I think it's 72 or older, that it makes it aggravated rape. So it could still technically be a death penalty case. But he, so he's, he's, He's getting high, and he went out and bought more uh, powder cocaine and brought it back to his house and made crack during this time. He ain't worried about the, the victim. Yeah, he just got fucking caught. I mean, I I don't know what you what are you thinking. You know the lady knows who you are. You call out her name and you say your name. Hey, Miss Such Such. Hey, it's Belazar. And can you open the door so I can talk to you? And she opens the door, and McGee goes in and attacks her like the savage beast that he is. So Belzar gives it up. Cops get a warrant for McGee for aggravated rape 
and aggravated burglary. Now, let me explain the aggravated burglary to you. Simple burglary is if I break into your house and I just steal some shit um, then, and I leave, that's a simple burglary. Aggravated burglary is if I break into your house and, and I, I commit any type of, under Louisiana law, if I commit any type of felony while I'm inside the house other than the, the stealing, that makes it aggravated burglary. And it's just about as serious charge as you can get besides attempted murder or murder or you know, rape. But, it, I mean, it's a, it's a badass charge. It carries a lot of time. But certainly they committed numerous felonies once inside. Uh, the beating, uh, beating of a, not all the beating that she took, but the beating of an elderly person makes it even more aggravated. And then the, the, the rape part, et cetera. Anyway, so they get, they get an arrest warrant. Well, guess what? They know this asshole. He's a frequent flyer. He's a he's one of their best customers, and they've. I mean, this guy's rap sheet is longer than my hatred for COVID. Right? I mean, it's just huge. So they get the warrant, and they they find him at a local convenience store. And again, this is small town America. There's only a couple little stores in the town, and this dumbass. Is just riding around smoking crack, and when they catch him at the convenience store, they, he's in his car, and there's actually stolen, still stolen items from the victim's residence inside the vehicle. So they get him, they arrest him, revise his rights, they bring him in, they videotaped it, and he confesses. He says, "Y'all." went over there and he said, yep, I hit her. And he said, I took her in the back room. He said, but I didn't fuck her. I didn't fuck her. He said, I tried, but I didn't fuck her. And I said, what do you mean? He said, he said, I couldn't get my dick in. He said, but I I wore a condom. He said, he said, I took her in the the bedroom. I I slammed her face down. I hiked her, her nightgown up, pulled her panties down. I took my dick out and I put a condom on, which I don't believe. He said, I put a condom on, and he said, I kept trying to stick it in, but I couldn't get it in a hole. It just, I, I just couldn't make it work. And he said, so we just took the stuff and put her in the closet and left. Well, Louisiana, the law for aggravated rape, which is Louisiana Revised Statute 1442, if I remember it correctly, the law is defined as penetration no matter how slight. It doesn't say you have to make full penetration. It doesn't say you have to get all the way in or even an inch in or whatever. Penetration, no matter how slight. And I would think this guy, six or seven times, he's trying to get it in. I, I could bet he, it, it penetrated at some point, even if it's a millimeter. But anyway, whatever. His, his claim to fame is that... And he was adamant about his. He took the time to put a condom on. Bullshit. I don't believe that. And I think he was. He's worried about another charge, which is uh, he probably had AIDS, and and he's worried about another charge like that. I, I don't get the whole condom thing. I mean, this crackhead is not going to take the time to put it on a condom, but he confesses. But he didn't get it in, right? According to him, fuck him. He's a, he's arrested on the on the aggravated rape in the aggravated burglary. But guess what? These cops in this small town have known this asshole forever. And 
they get to talking to them about the items from the burglary and uh, what what was used, et cetera. And, you know, they're trying to recover more shit and build a better case. They're doing a good job. But at, th- at some point, he says he used a pipe. And I don't know if that was during the beating, y'all. You got to remember, this was 15 years ago. But I remember it being a pipe. He tells them there's a pipe that he used um, in the burglary. And he could take them to go get it. They threw it out the window, and he knew where it was. Now, this this went on. When they caught him at the convenience store, they booked him, and um, and then they're doing interviews, and he, he went back and forth to the jail evidently a couple of times, and then that'll come into play here in a little bit, and I'll explain why. So he tells him, says, look, if you take me to the spot, I can get you that, and I, I think it was a piece of pipe. And uh, I guess maybe they were going to use it for DNA evidence or um, hoping maybe it had some of her blood on it or whatever. But so they put him in, in a cop car, marked cop car, one I think only two this this town has or had at that time. And they take him out there to this spot. And it's it's hot in, in April, right? It's in April. It's the... Uh, morning time but the two cops get out of the car and they like the old boy enough that or they've established good enough rapport with him that they put him in the front seat of the police car so he could have some air conditioning isn't that nice this guy who beats and rapes old ladies they're worried about him being cool in the cop car okay whatever so they, they said he was handcuffed and shackled. They put him in the front seat. They go down uh, approximately less than 100 yards from the cop car. They're looking for the pipe. And they look back up, and guess what? McGee has decided he is now the proud owner of a cop car. That's right. He climbed over, got in the driver's seat, and he's hauling ass. He took off. Now, don't you know they shit their pants? And when they, and when you look up, and that's one of those oh my situations. Oh my, I'm fucked. Wait, how do you call that in? Um, you call it in on your shoulder, Mike, saying uh, dispatch. Um, well, I'm kind of standing in the field here, and uh, do the. The probably the most serious crime they ever had in that town, except for a couple murders. Then the dude just hauled ass and, and stole their police car and left them standing literally on the side of the road. All right. So everybody gets alerted. State police, the, the sheriff's office over there uh, in that parish, all the town units, et cetera, and they call it out. I mean, it's not like... He's he's driving in a you know a car that can't be recognized. He is in a marked police car, marked with the town emblems on on the side. It's got the light bar on the top. Um, he just stole the police cruiser, so they call it in. Everybody, it's a bolo. Be on the lookout for be on the lookout for our police car because he just stole our shit. And, and this guy is wanted, uh, under arrest for aggravated rape and aggravated burglary, et cetera. 
fast forward to me. At that time, I was a detective with Lewis Parish Sheriff's Office, and I was actually on the night shift with Brian Paul and uh, Brian Paul Smith. And we were partners when we'd come out at two o'clock in the afternoon. But sometime before then, I actually got a page uh, uh, said to ten twenty one Brian Paul, which is give him a call. And so I called him. And he said, "Hey, I'll, he said you got to come on over to." Uh, the east side of the parish, they got a manhunt, and, and I'll explain it to you when you get here. And I'm, he said, I'm getting out, and I'm trying to put people out on the perimeter right now. I'm like, all right. So I swap over to TAC 2. Now, we had uh, at least three TACs, y'all, and that's radio channels on our police band. TAC 1 covered the west side of the parish, and at the time, I was living in Watson on the west side of the parish. TAC 2 covered the east side and so I swapped to TAC 2 so I could listen to what was going on because it was going to take me about 35, 40 minutes to drive over there. And wh- where I was going was Highway Louisiana Highway 40, uh, it, which is the last highway in Livingston Parish in the most northeast corner of Livingston Parish, and it, it runs east to west. It runs a long ways across the parish, but it runs into the next parish where it dead ends, the parish line is. And that's where I was going. Real rural area, nothing up there. And on on that stretch of Highway 40, now Highway 43 crossed it probably a couple miles from the parish line. And, And Highway 43 runs from the very northern tip of Livingston Parish down to almost knocking it. It run, runs so way down south. So that's that's where I'm going. I'm going, there's one little country store on Highway 40 up there. Other than that, this, the houses are sparsely populated and the uh, it's real rural. It's cow pastures and shit and, and not swamps up there because it's more farmland, but it's it's just... Real, really rural, and those cow pastures flood and stuff like that. So I'm hauling ass. I'm listening. They're they're setting up perimeter. The SWAT team's been called out. And what happened was the state police are there, the the neighboring parish, the sheriff's office are there, all town units available are there. Everybody's getting put out on the perimeter. And what happened was McGee got. I guess he. Thought he was a NASCAR driver or something, but he, he was taking Highway 40 into Livingston Parish, and it's a real curvy road, y'all, and it's a high, high embankment in this one spot. And I, I'm talking about, like, must be a 15-foot drop down, and it's just big-ass cow pasture. He lost it in the turn. He lost control of the of the cop car in the turn, jumped off the embankment, crashed into the field, and totaled this cop car. So I pull up, I get to that store, and I meet Brian Paul. And at the time, Brian Paul wasn't the head of the SWAT team, but that was his next his next job when he left detectives, right, of, to be over training and over the SWAT team. But he was like one of the top dogs on the SWAT team. So he was coordinating all that stuff, and, he, and I got there and said, look. And he told me what happened. He told me a story about the, the 76-year-old being beaten and raped, and this guy, how he escaped and stole the cop car, but the cop car was obvious. It was trashed. I think it like rolled a couple times. Of like the light bar and shit was halfway across the field, and and how that somebody honestly got I don't know how, 
they got out of the, the car and got away on foot. I figured we'd catch him. But he told me everything. And he said, um, you know, Stan, Stan Carpenter wanted me up in the area to help assist, you know, to do drive-bys. Now, well, anytime you get in a big perimeter like this, y'all, in a big manhunt, and then the helicopters come out and all that, the, you're going to start getting a lot of calls from, there's not a lot of people that live up there, but you're going to get calls. People saying, oh, my dog's barking. Uh, I mean, the highway's shut down. I mean, everything's shut down anywhere around. But you're going to get a lot of calls, and I was going to respond to the calls with uniform or whoever was closest to to check them out. And that's that's what we did. And the manhunt went on forever. And, I mean, it went on to as is, I'm talking about hours and hours and hours, and it was hot, and they had to keep swapping out the canines uh, because the canines, like, the canines couldn't pick up the track. I couldn't understand it. Because looking at the vehicle, you'd figure there'd be blood, a blood trail. You'd figure there'd be something in out there in this field, and they never could get on him. Or a couple times they thought they were on a track, and they lost a track. I don't know. But it was a real shit show, to be honest with you. And as, as it got dark, and there was nothing else they could do, and, and they didn't have any sign, and they'd been out there all day. And so they called it. Called off the search, and and that's when I met Brian Paul back up at the store, and and Stan stopped by and he said, "Hey man, y'all on nights tonight, you know, if you can, just kind of hang out in the area, do drive-throughs or whatever." And I said, "All right, cool." You know, so we did, and and Stan left, but then we got a detective call, a regular detective call, and Brian Paul went to catch it. I don't remember if it was another rape case or something, but it was it was something big enough where the two of us didn't have to go together, and we decided I would stay up in the area, right? So Brian Paul went to handle that, and I stayed in the area. And, I mean, it's dark up there. There's no street lights. It is rural as you know what, right? I mean, it's just... So I'm cruising. I have an unmarked extended cab truck at the time, and... So I, I'm riding around just the, the only little, there was only a couple little roads off that section of Highway 40. And, and so I'm riding those and then I'm riding 40 and riding all the way back to Highway 43. And then, and then a couple of hours went by and I said, you know what? This asshole is out here somewhere. It's too rural. I mean, we, I know he didn't get across Highway 40 because that's where all the cops were. They set up a big perimeter around the area. Yeah, I figured he's in there laid up somewhere. And if he if he went north, it wasn't but maybe a mile or two before the next parish line. And and so I just figured he was in there and I, I was hoping I would get lucky. And I thought, well, you know what? Let me go back out to Highway 43 and, and hang a right and go into that parish, which is a different parish all than the one he came in from. So it's kind of a corner where Livingston meets a couple of areas. And so I did, I, I, I went to 43, I hung a right, and I, I drove up the mile or so, and I crossed out of our parish into an area they called Georgetown. I don't know why, because there isn't anything up there, but they have a sign, bigger than shit, a Louisiana highway sign that says Georgetown in the big white letters. And so I'm in Georgetown, I'm not in my jurisdiction, I know this, but I'm just trying to get lucky. 
in it, and I'm driving along about 50 miles an hour. It's my truck, unmarked truck was kind of a big jacked up truck, and it was a diesel at that. So I'm driving, and in my rear view mirror, and in my side mirror, I see a flash of something to the passenger's side rear. I saw a flash of something like it went into the ditch. I immediately locked up my brakes, and it, I didn't know for sure. I, I was going off gut instinct. I locked up my brakes, grabbed my radio. I said, 201's out in Georgetown. Drop my radio mic. I jump out with my pistol, and I start screaming, I see you, motherfucker, I see you. You better not move. I'm going to blow your fucking brains out. I'm going to be honest with y'all. I figured this guy had had a gun. I figured if you're going to steal a cop car, you're going to steal a weapon that's inside the car when you run. Reason why, and I don't think the cops, the, the town cops would admit it because it's embarrassing, right? But um, I figure he's armed. But anyway, I'm screaming. I see you, son of a bitch. And I'm cursing him for everything, calling him everything but a child of God. I see you, fucking old lady raper. I'm going to blow your brains out, bitch. You good? You move an inch. Well, my radio is going off. I can hear it in the truck. They're like, two. My, my dispatchers know me. They, they knew the tone of my voice. They knew I was always in shit. But they knew if I didn't respond, you better send everybody. And um, so I'm screaming. I'm 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 not standing in the wide ass open, and I really can't see Dick because all I can see is from my taillights backwards. I'm in the dark. I assume I'm guessing the bad guy McGee is in the uh, is somewhere in the, my close proximity. Now, if he'd come out at me, I'd have shot him because I couldn't see, and I'd have had a right to, and and because he, he he you know I said don't move, et cetera, but. I'm not going to let them steal my shit. So I hear them on the radio. Uh, first of all, they 1033 the net for me when I didn't, didn't respond. They said 201, and I didn't respond. So they're like 1033 the net, which means hold all traffic on this channel in case I needed the radio, right? Everybody had to swap over to a different channel. And I heard Brian Paul say, 201, I'm coming to you from where he was coming from. And then uh, we had the K-9 officer on standby. I had called him earlier. It's Brandon Ashford. Y'all have heard me talk about him many times. His dog, Harry, just absolutely the best. We, we used to work uniform patrol together. We'd been on SRT team together. But I know y'all have heard me tell stories about Brandon and, and Harry, the, uh, the K-9. Now, Harry was a what they call a Belgian, I think, I'm gonna say it wrong, but a Belgian Malinois. It's a, it's like a crossbreed between a German Shepherd and something else. And he was a badass dog, and but he was trained in everything from narcotics detection to apprehension to whatever, to tracking and and biting, uh, uh, you know, taking a suspect down, et cetera. And Brandon was actually the closest one to me, and I, and I heard him say, "201, I'm coming to you." Can you repeat your location? Meanwhile, I'm still screaming. That's right, you motherfucker. You better stay right there. I'm going to blow your brains out. I see you. I see you. Well, guess what? That's an old cop trick. I didn't see shit. But, that's you know, like you use that on SWAT when you when you hit a house and you hit a room. If you know somebody's in there or not, or not, it doesn't even have to be SWAT. You could be in uniform patrol clearing a house. I would always scream. I see you. I see you. You better put your hands up. I'm, I'm, I'm blow your brains out. Put your hands up. 
Well, there may not even be anybody in the room, but nine times out of ten, if it is, some, if there is someone in the room and they're hiding, they're sticking those hands up, right? So and then I'm screaming and doing all these threats, et cetera, on the chance that this cat's even there. That's just an old old trick, right? And he doesn't know that it, that I can't see him. And so I, I grabbed the mic. Well, before I got to the mic, Brandon said, can you 10-9 your location? And, and the dispatcher came back and said, he said, Georgetown. Well, obviously, that's not in Livingston Parish, right? And I, I probably shouldn't have been up there, but I was just doing what I was doing. I was hunting this asshole. But I'm way up there, and I'm way in the country. And so it's just me and the guy. I was able to reach back in the truck. I grabbed the mic, and I, and I, I said, Brandon, when you when you get to me, stop when you see my tail lights and turn your spotlight on. I kind I didn't say it loud enough where this bad guy could hear me. I did grab my my little uh, portable flashlight, and I'm back out there, shining a light in the direction of the ditch. Now let me tell you about this road was raised up because this area floods a lot, and it's one of those kind of like where he he wrecked the car off of. It's one of those type of. Um, embankments and the grass is high as shit and that and there's a cow pasture to the left and again it could have been deer something that i saw and 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 crossing the road it could have been anything but i just had the gut instinct that it was it was the bad guy so i hear brandon come running up 43, and and um, as he's getting close, he sees my brake lights. He comes out of the turn, sees my brake lights, and he stops his marked unit with the lights on, and he throws the big the big spotlight in my direction, and I pointed towards that side of the road, and he shined it in the ditch. And then I, I backed up because I knew he had it covered, and I, I called him, and I said, listen, we're going to wait on Brian Paul and some more people to get here. I said, obviously, this asshole's going to run. I said, get your dog out, and uh, but when Brian Paul gets here, we'll let you do your thing, right? So Brian Paul got there because we were so far up there, y'all. I mean, we just couldn't be any more bumfuck each of them where we were. When Brian Paul gets there, he calls out that he's on he's on scene, and and I told him the same thing. I, I wasn't crossing the distance between me and them. I'm north of where they are. And um, I, I said, Brian Paul, we're gonna let the, we're gonna let the K nine work now for the K nine to work. First, of all, one of the reasons I don't want to walk down to where they were is, is for my own safety. The other reason is if a human being crossed that road, I didn't want to mess up the track for Harry with my own track, the dog, the K nine. And so I told Brian Paul, I said, we're gonna let let Harry get his ass. So Brandon, before he can release the dog, and now the dog, y'all, is is trained in a foreign language. I'm not going to tell you which one. And that's so if they, when they get into a apprehension or whatever, if a, if they're, let's say they're biting a bad guy, the bad guy can't say stop, and the dog's going to get confused and think it's his master, right? Now, Harry lived with Brandon. They stayed together. And he lived at his house. They trained every day on on their days off. They went to national competitions and local competitions. I mean, this is boy. And, and, and Harry got his first bite because of a guy that ran from me. And and so he still was kind of a young dog at the time, but probably a couple years old. But he was damn, damn good. 
on on the apprehension uh, and attack part. Now, if y'all, I don't know if you ever seen the video, but I I've actually put on one of the canine suits before, which is this big padded suit, and they when, during canine training they they tell you to run, and then they give the command for the the canine to go get you, and look, the canine hits you. You go into the ground, and, and if they get a bite on your arm or whatever, but they hit you with such force, it, it'll knock any grown man to the ground. So, but before he can release him, he has to give three verbal commands. He has to say, and he did it. He said, Sheriff's Office, canine officer, you come out with your hands up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to loose the canine. Sheriff's Office, <laughs> he's supposed to say, <laughs> You're supposed to say it three times loud and clear and distinct, and let's just say um, maybe sometimes, you know, it got said a little quick. But so it was the second command, Sheriff's Office. Sheriff's Office, canine, come out with your hands up or I'm going to loose the dog. Sheriff's Office, canine, come out with your hands up or I'm going to loose the dog. God, dog's gone. Boom. Harry's gone. And it didn't take him... 15 seconds. He came my direction. He hit He hit the, the scent. He hung a hard right, and he bailed off in the ditch, and, bitch, it was on. He hits the ditch. We can't see because, remember, it's a steep embankment, but he got right on that ass, and I'm talking about McGee's ass. But the, the, you heard screaming and, and fighting, and then we run over there, right, and shining the lights, and this asshole was fighting Harry, for everything he was worth, and Harry was giving it right back to him in street justice form. And, and I'm talking about, now we can't shoot. He didn't have a firearm, and, and, and we can't get in. I'm not getting in up close to try and spray him or anything with Harry. And I mean, he, all he had to do was stop resisting. And then Brandon starts giving them commands stop resisting, stop resisting. And he's like, fuck you. And, I mean, he was fighting until Harry got, I mean, Harry was getting a lot of bites. But when Harry got a hold of something that was important to him, yeah, then he started squealing like a little bitch. And and he was like, ah, ah, so stop, get him off, get him off, get him off. And, and there was a real tactical procedure they have to use for the canine officer to go down, you know, us to go down with him and, you're not going to call a canine off until you are sure that you're on top and you have him in, in enough physical custody if he decides to get up and run. You're not call a canine off and say, well, get up and turn around and put your hands behind your back. Fuck that. He's going to run, right? So we go down the hill, and Harry's tearing that ass up, literally street justice. Justice for the 76-year-old lady he raped is what I'm talking about. Justice for all the bad that he's ever done. And so we go down there, and Brandon calls Harry off. Brian Paul cuffs him, and this dude is covered in blood. I would call for an ambulance, 1018, which means as quickly as possible. Because, I mean, I thought the dude was going to die. And, and we, we're dragging him up the hill. He starts to fight us again. He kicks at Brian Paul. He tries to uh, bite at me. And then he he pulls away like he's going to run. Shit. He ain't got to give a warning this time on the K-9. Brandon loosed him again. Harry hit him like a ton of bricks, laid him out, and gets in in his ass again. 
and he's trying at first, he was trying to kick Harry and everything else. I'm like, all that blood, he can't be injured that bad. But he's trying to kick him again, and then Harry got a hold of a vital area of importance to the guy and was ripping it, and the guy started to comply again. So what we did this time is was, was we went up, um, got shackles out, and we actually shackled his feet and took the shackles and hogged out him behind his back to his handcuffs. So he couldn't he couldn't kick, he couldn't move, he was immobilized. But I'm going to tell you something, this dude was in bad shape. Now, look, her goal is not to kill anybody, not even by accident. And we certainly didn't want him to die. But he didn't, I mean, we're looking at him, we're looking at all the blood. Of course, we had blood on us. But there's no arterial bleeding, meaning there's no squirting going on. If there was, certainly we would have, you know, applied a tourniquet or done whatever we had to do to try to save the guy. But he was, he was messed up. And he was messed up bad. And he got street justice. And did I feel bad for him? Fuck no. Fuck him. And and, and I know what he did. I know what he did to that lady. I talked to the cops that day. They were on the scene of the wreck and the manhunt and all that. And they, they, they told me what he did and that he confessed to it. And he's been doing this forever, right? He was a frequent flyer. So that I don't feel bad for him. And, and I'm glad I went up to Georgetown and caught his ass and, or, or, was a part of catching his ass. But check this out. Uh, Brian Paul was patting him down for uh, weapons, right? And w- once we had him the second time down and we had him immobilized, and it's, you know, part of what you do is you take the shoes and stuff off, and, the, and he's screaming and hollering and everything else. Oh, I had to spray him uh, before before we hogtied him. I had this after Harry... But he just wasn't gonna stop. I I did spray him, and that that's finally when the spray kicked in, and he started crying like a bitch. He shut up, and and he was concentrating on the spray burning him instead of being an asshole and continuing the fight. So, but he knew he was going to prison for us his life, or if not the death penalty. And uh, Brian Paul is searching him, takes his shoes off, and feels the sock, and guess what he finds? A handcuff key. No shit, a handcuff key. So what it was believed or was found out later on through investigation that some inmate, when this guy, this guy's he's a local, going back to local jail, somebody he knew slipped him a handcuff key. So he played those dudes, the cops, about going out to look for this piece of pipe. And he meant the whole time to escape. And he did. And so ambulance comes. I had I rode in the ambulance for the for their safety. We took him to Lolly Kemp Hospital, which was the closest one in Independence, Louisiana. It's kind of a, a charity hospital, a public hospital. And I the the chief of that small town and, and the, their guy came and met me, and they were very very thankful that we called him and that he didn't get to rape anybody else or hurt anybody else. They were not sad that he was in the shape that he was in. That, that again, that's street justice. And that's it. They took custody. I didn't even have to take him to Livingston to book him because he was outside of my jurisdiction. And But I knew, you know, he was a fugitive, et cetera. And uh, I didn't ask him any questions or anything like that. But he was Mirandized and placed under arrest and turned over to custody. Fast forward to, to the end of the story. He goes to trial. 
This is another reason I don't feel bad that he got his ass tore up so bad because he went to trial. He wouldn't, it didn't, I, actually, they didn't even offer him any type of plea bargain. They charged him with aggravated rape. That's mandatory life. They did not go for the death penalty. Um, they charged him with aggravated burglary. That's, I mean, I don't know, 40 or 60 years, whatever, and aggravated escape from an officer, which aggravated flight, which I think it's another 10 or 20 years. And that, y'all, the aggravated escape means when you are escaping, you put somebody's life in danger. So goes to trial. By the time this thing gets to trial, I'm already transferred to the state police, okay? So a lot of the cases or most of the cases that the, we had together at those times that went to trial, whoever I worked it with, they got this. I, I got a subpoena for them. If I couldn't go, I would call them, the prosecutor and say, hey, I'm going to be out when I, or working on such and such. I can't come, you know, on this date. They would get the other detective to come in. Guess what? We're going to say the same shit anyway. And we only one of us would write the report on it. And so... Brian Paul went to testify on it, and he testified in, in about everything, basically. He testified about the crash scene, the, the vehicle being trashed. He, he testified uh, about our apprehension up there, and then he fought us, and he did fight us in the K-9, and he testified about how bad of a shape he was in and everything else, and he was. Uh, he testified about finding the handcuff key, et cetera. Come back. Well, no, let me... But the sad part of it is this lady, the victim, had to take the stand and testify because everybody has a right to confront their accuser. And that sack of shit made her get on the stand and testify. And listen, this is hard to hear. This is the worst part of the story. She gets up and she testifies. And the defense is challenging the aggravated rape and in... They make her describe the event in detail. And, and the, you know, he's like, but did he penetrate you? And she was like, I don't know. I don't know. I felt his his hard, erect penis going back and forth on me six or seven times. And she said, it, it, I know it kept hitting my clitoris. Now, how fucking sick is that, that, that you're going to make her get up there and relive the trauma in this Christian lady, pastor's wife, probably 78, 79 years old by this time to have to get up there and do that. So fuck him. And and I'm talking about McGee and his attorney. And much my hat's off to that lady for being that strong, for the victim or the survivor for being that strong. So jury goes out, come back, unanimous guilty verdicts on the aggravated uh, rape, aggravated escape, and aggravated burglary. Now, he challenges it on appeal, and he challenges the aggravated rape, saying he did not penetrate, even though he hit her clitoris, and he uh, went back and forth on the outside of her vagina, that he didn't, that he actually challenged that the state didn't prove that he penetrated her, even though, no matter how slight, and he won. But he was convicted of attempted aggravated rape, right? And he got 40 years, sentenced to 40 years for that. On 
let me, let me back it up. Let me get it straight. They came back on the 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 jury came back on and found attempted aggravated rape because the state didn't prove that he penetrated the the victim with his penis. Forty years. Then the aggravated burglary. I think they gave him another thirty, thirty or four, maybe forty. I don't remember. It it, it was a, pretty much the max. And the aggravated escape, they did find him guilty of, and they gave him another ten or fifteen years on that. Now all this was to run consecutive, not concurrent, which means he when he got done with his first day of the forty years on the attempted aggravated rape. The, the very next day, he started his 30 years for the aggravated burglary, right? It's a death sentence. Uh, uh, um, McGee was like 34 or 35 at the time when he did this in 2005. But he did challenge it on appeal. What he had challenged was the aggravated escape, and he won. Uh, and he challenged the fact that they, can't, they couldn't prove that he almost killed anybody even himself. And, and the reason they couldn't prove he almost killed himself is the state police who work highway crashes or whatever, they weren't, they didn't, the prosecution didn't put on any, anything at trial that showed how bad the crash was, even though Brian Paul testified to it. And, and basically, I think Brian Paul was like, uh, if you'd seen the car, you, you'd have wondered yourself how anybody could have got away, could have walked away from that. That's how bad it was. So, but anyway, the appeals court upheld it, and they dropped it to simple escape, which I think you know only took like eight years off his sentence. He's going to die in prison anyway. He's a piece of shit. Belazar, I think, got like forty years for the aggravated burglary. He was principal to aggravated rape, so street justice. And I'll never forget seeing that guy get his ass tore up, but at the same time can't get the image out of my head of him beating this sweet old lady and then he intended to rape her whether 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 he penetrated her or not he had full intentions of raping a 76 year old lady and didn't I don't know she's probably deceased by now that's 15 years ago but Hats off to her uh, uh, for being a champion and being tough, and that's it. So that'll conclude this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast, Street Justice. I hope you all enjoyed it. I want to talk about a couple things real quick. Um, The Rapids burning, again, there's a lot of people that are suffering right now in Louisiana and other places. I am going to conclude that. But I'm going to tell you something. When they lift this COVID restriction, we are today. We hit 25,000 members on our uh, Facebook private group page. It's called um, Real Life, Real Crime, Friends, Fans, and Crew. Crew being spelled with a K. That's a Louisiana uh, term, uh, Mardi Gras thing. K R E W E. And we have 25,000 members now in that private group, and that's because people keep inviting and sharing the group and inviting their friends to join. And it's important because I'm going to tell you something. As soon as we're available and we can properly plan it, we're if 
justice for Courtney Coco hasn't happened by that time, we're going to roll up in the Rapides Parish and do a peaceful protest. We're not going to burn shit down. We're not going to kill anybody. But we're going to have thousands and thousands of us. And right now, all the hotel rooms and everything are full and stuff like that because of the evacuees from the hurricane. But when it's time, I'm telling you, they better get off the ass and close out the case on Courtney Coco and make the arrest because we're going to use the lifers and the crew members, and we're going to go up there and put on the protest of protests, and it's going to get national media coverage, which is the whole goal all along of growing that group. And so justice for Courtney Coco, as always, y'all, and Miss Barbara Blunt, please, please don't forget about her. Don't forget about her. I know the focus has been on Rapids Parish, but it's not a cold case. There are things that are being worked on. And listen, y'all, these are this is a homicide case. Homicide in in it's not gonna be solved in a day, but it's being worked. It's being worked because of the tips that y'all are calling in, just like Courtney Coco's. It's so important. Please continue to call in your tips. All right, it's huge. You just don't know it's huge. Showtime presents the new limited series, Your Honor. Dad, I hit somebody and I left him there. Starring Brian Cranston. Don't tell anyone. I can keep you safe if no one hears about it. There are some truths worth lying for. Oh, who did this? The city is waiting. Send a message. What have you got me into here, Michael? I need more time. I can't do it at any of this. You have to, or we die. Your Honor premieres December 6th on Showtime. And listen, all y'all that keep sending me the cold cases, and uh, Toby Tomplay and I, we've just been busy. But we're going, I'm going to start a cold case podcast where we work just nothing but cold cases, but it's not going to be live time like we did on, on Courtney Coco's and, and um, like I'm doing on Barbara Blunt's. We are going to take it and work the cold case to its conclusion and record it as it goes along, and then we're going to release the series, okay? So that's coming. If you have a loved one who's been murdered, I don't care where it is, and it's a cold case, like I I tell you all when you message me, email me. Woody at realliferealcrime.com. I'm going, I can't tell you we're ever going to work it, but I can tell you it's going to be red, and I can tell you that, that someday we're going to start this show, and, and those cases are all going to get a look, okay? And y'all, Instagram, check it out. It's at realliferealcrime and at Overton Woody. It's growing big. I'm posting more stuff on there all the time. I'm still learning it. Um, but putting some it's, it's different stuff that I'm putting different things on there that then are on the crew page or a regular Facebook group. Y'all, a reg, we do have a regular Facebook uh, group, Real Life, Real Crime. Check it out. Go like it and all that. Uh, we have the Real Life, Real Crime Land Yap group, which is where you can go post anything that you want to you uh, your hobbies you can you, you can do lives from there you can sell stuff i don't care we made that for our fans that uh, that are crew members and lifers that the crew page is is for true crime all right and we try to keep that page 
on that focus as much as I can, as much as we can. And the Dream Team moderators do a great job. But the crew, the Lanyap page, Lanyap is a, is a Cajun word for extra bonus or free. Go there, but you have to be a member. And so get, we'll, we'll get you approved and go in there and post what you want. That's an awesome page. But, y'all, we have the Book and Book Club that the Dream Team moderator started. Check it out. That's another Facebook page. They do a, a different true crime book, and they read it, and they discuss it, et cetera, all on Facebook. I get friend requests every day for Woody Overton. I cannot and haven't for probably a year now been able to accept anymore unless somebody deletes me, which happens from time to time. But the um, but I'm at the 5,000 limit, so I had to create a pu- public persona page or whatever they call it. So if send me a friend request, send it there so I can, I would love to be friends with all of you and, and, and talk to all of you, but I can't. I can't take any more friends on my on my private page. You have to go to Woody Overton, public person. person I don't know what the hell they call it. But send the request to that page, and I, I would love to be friends with you. YouTube, we're about to blow that bitch up. We, we met with some uh, professional people, and y'all just wait and see what's coming. And I don't want I don't want to let the cat out of the bag on that. I'm going to do a a a mini episode just about that when, when it's time and patron members thank you thank you thank you thank you uh you are the your your subscription and and i hope you're enjoying and using all your benefits if we owe, owe you something let us know but i know they're staying on top of it really good right now your episode will your monthly bonus full episode will be coming out next week and it's a good one. So thank y'all. For, hey, if you can't be a Patreon member lifers, I don't care. Just continue to like us and share us and help us grow. And everyone, if you get a chance, go to iTunes and leave me a review for real, for real life, real crime, a review on iTunes. And, and we, we have over 2,000 something reviews and we're five stars. But go if you want to, you want to laugh. And if you know me and you want to laugh, go read some of the one stars. They're they're comical. I'm a racist. I'm a uh, everything about a child of God, right? They're comical. So, but anyway, if you get a chance, leave us a review on that. Last but certainly not least, LOPA, Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. Please, please, please go to their website. Sign, it'll be in the show notes. Sign up to be an organ donor. Give the gift of life, or as I told you last week, the or the week before, the life reached out that works at the I Bank, and they give the gift of sight. How amazing is that? Yeah, so do that, and then when you go to their website and they have a, a click on the box, how you heard about us? Check living. LT, I think it's LTC for Livingston Parish Literacy and Technology Center. Those are those are the people that got me hooked up with LOPA, and they they got me my first live show and and all that. And I'm going back there in the, in the next two weeks to teach more classes to Miss um, Ke- Kelly Jennings' students. So which will be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to that Kelly. Uh, but they're the best people in the world. Miss um, Kim Albans, the principal out there. And I wish I'd have had a school like that. 
when I was coming up. But check under LOPA, LTC for Livingston Parish Literacy and Technology Center, and there's a section for criminal justice students. And they're also now, they've added real life, real crime. If y'all want to check that, you can see. But I'm not doing it for real recognition. I'm doing it because we believe it's important. I, I believe it's important, and it's real life, real crime's mission to help save lives through LOPA. So lifers give the gift of life. Sign up to be an organ donor. I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on murder by you. Peace. Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Tomplay.